You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as is usual is David Leach, um, ITK analyst and Renew Economy contributor. How are you, David? I'm very well, Giles. Trust you're well. Uh, trust all of our listeners are well and I'd like to welcome our special guest today. Yes, yes. A change of pace today. Um, we'd like to welcome uh, Mara Bunn, the newly appointed president of the Australian Conservation Foundation. How are you, Mara? Very well, thank you. Well, look, thanks for joining us. Look, we'll be very interested in um, tapping in and, and listening to what you, your plans are at, um, at the ACF and um, some of your priorities for the coming period. But look, first of all, let's just go into the news of the week. And David, look, Actually, not a very busy week, really, um, last week. Um, I guess the most notable thing was the federal government confirming that it was going to spend $6.2 billion. Well, I guess the price was new, but the transaction was not new on Snowy Hydro. Um, and interesting, um, having just given a speech in Parliament about how the Coalition believed in free markets, um, the Coalition went out and bought the fourth largest gen tailor in the country. And um, obviously with a very, very firm plan of building Snowy 2.0. Yeah, they, they did indeed, Giles. And uh, it, look, it, it wasn't the week to be making any announcements about policy. I think there were too many other things going on for any of the mainstream media to really focus on it. The price was about a billion dollars uh, higher than what we'd estimated 18 months ago, coming on the back of a pretty good year for Snowy in FY17. Uh, as you point and, out, and that, and that good year, just to interrupt you, and sorry about that, um, would be because the wholesale prices are so are so high, and they're making fantastic profits on, on electricity market. Yes, and about every second year, Snowy also has uh, uh, higher hydro releases for reasons that somewhat escape me. And as a result of that, when it does that, it gets more REC income, but it can't rep- generally repeat that trick two years in a row. I guess the uh, leaving aside all the de- uh, interesting debate about. Uh, Snowy 2 and the the role of pumped hydro in what is still a thermal generation market. The other thing that I think will have the other private enterprise gen tailors, not that they're short of any market power, but the thing that will have them looking at their calculators and talking to their army of uh, advisors in government and whatever, uh, normally ex-employees, as was pointed out in the conversation today, and um, is that... uh, as you say, Snowy is going to become the fourth largest retailer. So its ability to influence retail prices has suddenly gone up without necessarily having to be focused on profits. Well, that's right. And that puts the um, federal government in in an interesting position of being the fourth largest retailer, being answerable to prices and also setting policy and, and some of the rule changes. Mara, I just thought I would just bring you in just very quickly here because one of the Snowy um, Hydro, um, well, the report they produced, big questions about the um, environmental impact of what they're proposing to do. Um, Will the ACF be keeping a close eye on this? Well, Giles, I think the question of trade-offs around uh, environmental impacts to nature on the one hand and this uh, grand transition on the energy model have to be front and center for an organization like ACF, which really is about, you know, backing nature in this transition. 
And, and having said that, I think it's um, clear that there's, there's also some synergies. So let, let's play that out with great care. Another thing that I thought was very interesting this week was um, uh, your report about the little town Newstead in Victoria that's uh, moved to a different tariff model. I mean, there's been so much debate about whether we should be having demand or time of use or fixed network tariffs. And here we have a town that's doing something that a lot of people who've looked at it in theory thinks wouldn't work in a big city, but might be just fine for a, a small town in, in a rural environment. Yeah, look, it's a very interesting one, actually, David. Um, this is, um, so Newstead is going 100% renewables. It wants to do it within about three or four years. It's actually got quite a lot of support from the Victorian government to pursue a feasibility study. More interestingly, got a, um, a MOU with uh, the local um, um, network operator, which is PowerCore. And what they propose is a change in the tariffs. And it's interesting. There's been a bit of a debate on the website today about this. Look, it's not a big reduction in prices, and the community know that, but what they're trying to avoid is any distortion. So some people go solar, go the whole hog and get big discounts in prices and leave others sort of holding the baby because um, the distributors want to get their money back from their investment. And, um, you know, apart from actually writing down the value of their investment, which they're not going to do, this is just basically kind of repackaged. So it is an interesting one, and I think it's a potential breakthrough and be really interesting to see how it can be further refined, because I don't think this is the final stop there. I think uh, of course, all the demand management people would be up in uh, arms about the fact that this, this sort of pricing strategy actually encourages more electricity consumption, and that's the reason why I don't think it will work more broadly, because for me, tariffs always have to have some element that, that sends a signal that when you're consuming more on a constant basis, that, that, that there's a price for doing that. On the other hand, uh, I think increasing the fixed charge component is also very bad for low income earners. So again, it might work in a, in a community where everyone's relatively equal. But in, in, if you're in a big city where you've got some districts that, that can't afford high fixed costs and, and some that uh, uh, should, would be better off paying high usage costs, this idea of having more of the uh, distribution cost at a fixed rate um, um, is, is, as I say, going to penalise, essentially, uh, it's a regressive type of pricing. Even though it's an accurate way of pricing, it's regressive. Yes, I know. Yes. And, and I think it might just be used in special situations like this. I have to say, though, that where I am in northern New South Wales, I'm paying about twice that tariff in a fixed, unavoidable network charge. And being a low user from the grid because I've got um, solar, I'm actually paying about $1.20 kilowatt hour. So I'm not particularly happy about that. And my... But Giles, you live in Byron Bay in a beautiful <laughs> house in a lovely area and go surfing twice a day, probably for all I know. I mean, you can't got to take a bit of the bad with the good. And, and the fact is, this is this is the great tragedy of electricity consumption in Australia and it's the underlying reason uh, why prices are so high is that the the geographical distance between points of presence to put it technically is so large you know in other words we don't have very much electricity consumption per kilometer of wires yes I think there's been a little bit of gold plating going on anyway but look that's a conversation for another one um, I'm just going to one, one more thing from the week a Tasmanian government um, Tasmanian election happening um, the Liberals got um, voted back in um, no great difference, I don't think, in energy policy, although I think um, the Liberals have promised to review solar tariffs and things like that. You, I mean, there was a question, this threat of quitting the NEM, but I don't think, I think that was more sort of bravado than actually doing anything, but they certainly don't want to take their prices. And after getting your response, I might just sort of flick over to Mara to get um, her response about the political climate. 
Yes, well, you know, I, I mean, Tasmania, <laughs> it's like uh, like farmers in Queensland, isn't it? Isn't it really? You um, privatise the profits and subsidise the losses. They're perfectly happy to take the low prices in Tasmania. They just don't want to take it when it's high prices. But guess what? You're either in the market or you're not. Indeed, indeed. Look, Mara, I thought I might bring you back in here. Um, there's a whole bunch of state elections happening. We've had Queensland. We're having South Australia in a couple of weeks. What for you, what for ACF is the... How do you make of the political environment? Well, I guess uh, on the one hand, um, when you think that we might have had a new coal-fired power station with a promise of 20% drops in prices, then it certainly feels a bit more sane after the Queensland election. Uh, on the other hand, not quite yet on the cusp of that sweet spot where ideology is a bit out of the mix and we can come at you know, some, some good policy that allows us to make this transition ahead uh, in a planned way. Mm. I'm just wondering, um, you appointed just last week um, uh, the announcement of the president. What are, what are the ACF's big priorities going forward over the next couple of years? Is it going to be on energy? Is it going to be on climate? Is it broader environmental issues? So, you know, I think the first thing to understand about the ACF is uh, what I loved about it is this, this kind of theory of change, this change strategy, which really is about changing the story and building this, uh, you know, base of people power that allows addressing the issues at, at hand at a systems level. So n not so much fighting for, you know, just this policy here and there, not so much, you know, that just insider track on lobbying, but really understanding that if people get behind nature and all of the threats to nature uh, down the track and, and present here and now, then somehow there's, there's a base there to fix the system. And that's the cool thing to think about, you know, the priorities at that system level. And there have been two that are absolutely running through, have been for the last few years. We've just approved our new three-year plan. And the two kind of angry ones are about ecosystem level responses as well as the energy system. So, you know, very happy to chat about those, longstanding work. Of course, we've seen the, uh, the Stop Adani campaign is an iconic moment in that energy transition linked back to why it matters for nature. So that's, uh, that, 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 that's kind of the core existing programs. Very interesting that the two new system level responses relate on the one hand to the economic system, a very bold attempt to understand that we really do need to better drive investment and the role of business and you know, basically how we measure progress um, and get happier <laughs> along the way. And then the other one, which uh, to me is equally inspiring, is this idea that in the 21st century, if we're serious about standing up for nature, and particularly in, the, in a country like Australia, we actually need to think about the democratic system. What are the uh, impacts, issues, drivers that underlie dysfunction in our democracy that leads to bad consequences for, you know, the marvelous beaches and forests and rivers and you know, reefs that we all so much love and, you know, also impede the transition in our energy model that is uh, our one and only path towards a safe climate. And, you know, really we see the linkages at a systems level between working on ecosystems, energy, economics and democracy as, uh, you know, a vibrant and um, 
solid response and that's what we aim to do. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it was interesting you mentioned that because I think David alluded to the article that was published in the conversation that we republished which talked about the uh, close links between the fossil fuel industry and ministerial advisors and um, I think that probably explains some of the policy um, imbroglio that we um, have now and it's also interesting just in the Tasmania election the amount of money that was thrown at the uh, government by the gambling industry um, to protect their interests. And I guess that's probably a, a bit of a constant in election campaigns. I was wondering though, when you were sort of talking about um, some of these um, these campaigns, and um, there was a lovely piece um, written by Alan Pears, which we published last Friday, which talked about enoughness and uh, this idea that we shouldn't be consuming too much. But I'm just wondering how much you actually feel that the community is engaged, because I know that sort of Adani is kind of a line in the sand for the environmental groups, and there's a big call for sort of community support on that. I guess if you look at the community, we've got probably 20% of households have their own rooftop solar now. I'm just wondering whether, you'll think, whether your observation is that the community engagement is greater now or, or, or harder to grab hold of for environmental groups like yours? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the big question. And I think there's no doubt that with these peer-to-peer um, -peer technology platforms and uh, much more of a a kind of disruption of what used to feel like the system, you know, at hand in terms of the broadcast media that told you what was happening instead of allowing you to form those views in a more, um, you know, kind of uh, outreach, proactive way. I think on the one hand, there is more engagement. On the other hand, really, I have no doubt that the secret to a lasting cross-party, you know, sustained support for nature and climate solutions is all about inclusion. And we just have to move past this idea that white, you know, uh, progressive uh, voters are the only people that care because it's not true. Uh, we, we see all around us um, people from the country, farmers, people that love to fish, even people that love to shoot, you know have a relationship to nature, which is longstanding, authentic, important part of the mix. And not only that, we look around Australia, we see uh, increasing, you know, a Asian influence, many more cultures than are represented in the traditional environment movement. I think if we can make a stab at broadening this appeal of why we love this country so much and how we all have a stake in the transition towards a model which is not only better for nature, but better really for the economy and for our own sense of security and sustainability. We have to become much more like the nation. And uh, I think that will be a secret to the transition. How good are we at reaching out towards much more of a consensus position? And I do understand that along the way, there's gonna be big adjustment. There always are winners and losers. But, you know, to openly reach out for a fabric which is more representative, I think will help. Mara, so I'm interested, you're, the ACF is a large organisation, I think. Um, do you have any metrics for actually uh, measuring the success of your campaigning? Uh, oh, yes. So, you know, like any contemporary organization, we have plans, we have KPIs, we have a board, we have a council, we have our own democracy in hand, and we uh, review, we set ourselves out challenges, we attempt to measure how we're going along the way. Very interestingly, uh, uh, an approach which we're uh, determined to take is 
a sense of uh, innovating a little bit more by design, a bit more deliberate in our sense of innovation. What I mean by that is uh, these days with exponential change and so much uncertainty, the horizon on planning is collapsing. And not only that, the dependencies are so much bigger across different sectors uh, that we find, you know, the ability to co-design, co-create the approaches that we're taking will be fundamental to the approach that we take. And also the ability to plan over horizons. So, of course, you know, the Adani campaign is um, very visible in the here and now. Um, there are many more things that we need to plant the seeds of now to have options to, you know, uh, advance uh, one, two, three years down the track. And that was Mara Bund, president of the Australian Conservation Foundation, who was our special guest on Energy Insiders this week. I'd like to play you the rest of what she said, but unfortunately we've had a te technical glitch with our podcast and the rest of our recording disappeared into the nether netherland. Perhaps blame it on the NBN and Australia's inability to get a really good internet system. I did go on to ask Mara how the pushback that's happening about uh, about the pushback that's happening with the NGOs, particularly by the fossil fuel industry that's trying to limit the NGO activism and what the impact will be on the ACF. And she went on to say that it is a struggle, but she's quite confident that uh, sanity will prevail and uh, there won't be too much of an impediment to their activities. Look, we'll try and get Mara on some other time because um, once we've chased out these technical gremlins and um, and get her to speak more about her plans and on a a ACF. In the meantime, we'll say goodbye and we'll be back next week when David Leach and I will have another guest and talk about the big issues facing the energy industry. And thanks for joining us and please leave a review. Um, seek us out on your favourite platform and um, thanks to our sponsors once again, Solaray Energy and What Watches. And we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Wattwatchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.